Welcome to Employed, a podcast about careers. Whether you're at a point of having to make a career choice or you simply like to hear what others are passionate about, Employed is about the workers who make up our nation's economy. I'm Allie, and today we are speaking with Camille Andros, a children's book author. I'm sitting at this table and I was looking around, I'm like, oh my gosh, every single person at that table was either a New York Times bestseller or had won a major award or both. And I just kind of was sitting there and like, what am I doing here? (laughs) Just kind of that feeling like, oh, one of these is not like the other. Thank you so much, Camille Andros, for joining me tonight and coming on here to tell everyone a little bit about what you do. Can you introduce yourself and share with everyone what you do every day? Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am a picture book author and mom of six kids and I live in Chapel Hill, North Carolina and I'm loving it. It's really good. My fifth book comes out um, in May. I mean, what made you interested in this? How did you kind of dive into this field? Sure. I've always loved books, especially picture books. That's something that I never outgrew. I remember just sitting with my parents and my dad especially, you know, open up the picture books and point out the different things happening on the page that you didn't see uh, in the text, right? It's not, it's like a whole other story going on in the art. And at first that kind of frustrated me because I wanted to get through the book and know what the story was, but uh, he would he taught that to me to sit and look and take in um, more than just the words and the art and how much that has to offer. And so that's something that I just always loved doing. And then when I had my own kids, I continued to love it. And I had already a stack of books that I'd collected through the years and started researching and seeing what it would take and dove in and it worked out better than I could have dreamed. So I had nothing to lose really, you know, it was like, well, I'm, I'm already not doing it right (laughs) before. And so this is what it's like not doing it. My life's pretty good. So, you know, if I, if it doesn't work out, it's fine, but at least I will have tried. Can you kind of describe what the steps were in kind of taking off and, and what did you have to do to begin that? I had no idea at first. So I started just with story ideas. And for years, even when the little, the kids were little, I had a notebook that I just always would jot ideas down into. And then that kind of, I kept doing that. So whenever I'd have an idea of something that I think would be, would have been an interesting story, I'd write that down. And then I kept a blog, uh, you know, when blogs were new a long time ago. (laughs) And I would write every day a little bit about what was happening, you know, just in my life and with the kids and things that I liked. And, and then I kind of outgrew that and transitioned to different things, but I was always storytelling, if that makes sense through whatever I was doing. And um, so when I decided to get serious about it, I, the first thing I did was do some Google searching And I discovered the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, SCBWI, as it's known, and uh, joined that organization. And they have different conferences all over the, all over the world, actually. And 
local chapters all over. And so I joined that and found a critique group in North Carolina. We met at a bookstore, you know, once a month and we would just share our stories and get feedback from people that, you know, weren't our sister or our mom. (laughs) Could give you honest feedback. (laughs) Honest, helpful feedback. And so I worked that way, trying to get some stories in a place where they could be submitted. The thing I wanted to do first was to get an agent. I knew um, since I wanted to be traditionally published, an agent was something I was going to want to have to, to do that. And so because most publishing houses won't accept unagented uh, submissions. So that was my first big hurdle was to find an agent. And so I wrote a lot of bad, bad stories and then tried to get them better and better. And I went to conferences and I just to kind of learn, I felt like it was a little mini MFA. It wasn't a, you know, anything official, but I learned a lot uh, over, that was about the course of a year about that. I was writing and researching and going to conferences and working like really solidly working every day towards that goal. And at the end of that year, I signed with an agent and then my first book sold early that spring. How do you become inspired on story ideas? Where does that come from? It's funny. I was thinking about that this morning as, as I was preparing for, to talk to you and it was every single book I have was a different inspiration, obviously, but they all had one thing in common. And it was that I was doing something new. It was a new experience. It didn't have to be something fancy or exotic or super exciting, but just something new. Uh, My first book that I really started to try and write was called The Dress and the Girl. And that was inspired by a couple different things, but one of them, I was at a friend's house. She'd invited a group of women over for a fancy tea party. She liked to do fancy events. And a woman came dressed in a vintage 1950s tea party dress, and it was fabulous. And I just could not stop looking at it and thinking about, oh my goodness, where has that dress been? What other parties has it been to? Or has it been to something sad? Or, you know, has it traveled places? Like what has happened to that dress? And so that just started turning in the back of my mind. And then um, my husband's great grandfather immigrated to the United States from Greece and his parents, my husband's parents at the time were living in Greece and we were able to go and visit them. And so we went, we were able to go up to this little village up in the mountains of Greece. And that's kind of the other part of that story. Those two things came together. And so the dress and the girls about a girl and her favorite dress who had immigrated from a little Greek village to the United States and how they were separated from each other and they spend the book trying to find each other again. And then at the end of the book, the girl is grown up and she's walking by a a shop window that sells like vintage and secondhand things. And she looks and she sees her dress in the window. And so she's able to get the dress and bring it home for her own little girl and they were reunited, so. 
Oh, that's so neat that just like something so small is going to a, a tea party and seeing another person there could inspire this, this whole book. How does pay work? How can someone best estimate how much they could potentially earn doing something like this? Right. So if you want a steady, reliable income, this is not the job for you, <laughs> at least at the beginning. I think it can be um, down the road, but initially, if you just have one book, the way it works is you get, uh, if an editor decides they want to buy your manuscript, then they will give you an advance on the royal future royalties of what that book will make. And so, or what you hope that book will make. But very often authors never receive another penny after that advance. You have to earn out that advance once the book is out in the world and in order to get any more money for that. You have to earn back that advance amount. And you'll receive that in different payments. Um, Usually the first payment is upon signing the contract. And then once you've done revisions and edits with your editor and they've accepted it officially, and then you'll get another payment. Um, Different houses do it differently, but that's Mm. kind of roughly how it goes. But then that book still isn't going to be released or out in bookstores for another year and a half to two years, sometimes even longer. So you know, you see money at first, but not maybe never again. <laughs> but if you can continually, if you're lucky enough to continually to publish throughout a lifetime, then you have a career of that. And eventually you'll have a body of work and your name will be known enough that then you can hopefully start earning out those advances and getting royalties that mm-hmm. you know, would support you better. Another way to make an income is by doing school visits. Many authors do that. That's one of the things that's been so difficult about this year is authors that really count on that money for their income, that's been completely taken away. And yeah. so that's been a really tough thing for a lot of, a lot of writers but doing school visits, not something that's so fun to do. That's why we write the stories. It's for these kids. And so being able to connect with the readers in that way is one of my very favorite things to do. And I've missed it so much. Oh, I bet. I bet just seeing their expressions and seeing, oh, yeah. seeing that, Talking that. To them, hearing about what they like. It's, it's the best. Can you walk through the process of writing a book from getting inspired, getting that idea and mapping it out in your head to getting out there and getting it published? What all goes into that? Sometimes a story comes very easily. That isn't usually the case. Maybe once or twice that's happened for me, but usually it's having an idea and then thinking about it for a really long time before I even write anything down, just thinking and thinking and thinking And then when I feel like I can't think anymore without having it spill out of me, (laughs) that makes sense, then I will sit down and my, this is usually my goal. I don't always do it. My friend, Stacey McAnulty, she's a great uh, middle grade and picture book author. She gives the advice to try and write a draft, that first draft in one sitting, if it's a picture book, sit down and get it out. And it, it doesn't even have to be pretty prose or anything, just 
what happens, just write it down so you can get it out there. Once you do that, then you can start to mold it and make it into what you want it to be. So that can take a lot of different (laughs) amounts of time. The dress and the curl, I wrote the first draft of that, I think in 2008, and that book was published in 2018. But that was my first book. So there's a huge learning curve there too. And it wasn't my first book published either. My first book published was Charlotte the Scientist is Squished. And so um, it can just vary. So once you've revised it and revised it, I'll send it to a critique, my critique group. I have an online critique group and an in-person critique group. They'll give me feedback and then I'll revise some more. And once I kind of get the green light from them where they say, yeah, this is good. I think it's in a good place. Then I'll send it to my agent. And then she'll be like, this is terrible. (laughs) And give me lots of good feedback. And then I'll go revise some more. And once we feel like it's in a good place, then that's when we go out on submission where she sends it to a group of editors to try and sell it, which is fun and nerve wracking and exciting or disappointing, depending on what happens there. So either it gets bought or it doesn't at that point. And it's disappointing when things don't get picked up, but that happens. If you are a writer and think, oh, I just want to get that first book and then it'll be smooth sailing. It's not true. It's that the rejection just begins. (laughs) But when you do get that yes, and then the editor buys it, and then uh, they will pair you with an illustrator. That's one of the most common misconceptions with children's publishing is they think, or writers will think they have to find an illustrator, but that's not the case. Yeah, there's whole in-house art departments for, for that purpose, and they have art directors that are fantastic, and they'll hire an illustrator to do your project except there's always exceptions right to the rules sometimes a submission will go to editors paired with an illustrator and I have done that for a few of my books I did that with Charlotte the Scientist's books and with From a Small Seed the story of Eliza Hamilton those were paired with an illustrator for the submission so and the editor can still say oh that we just want the text and we want to hire a different illustrator. So, you know, they're taking that risk, but it's paid off for me so far. <laughs> and, but that has to be something that, you know, you talk over with your agent and you guys both, both feel good about it. The normal process with picture book making is then the editor will communicate with the writer and with the illustrator and the illustrator and the writer don't communicate with each other. <laughs> Yeah, they don't, they don't talk unless you're friends or something. But even then, I'm not telling them what to, what to do at all. You know, it's their book as much as it's my book, and it's something we do together and create. So I really value what those illustrators bring to the book. It makes yeah. it so whole and complete and beautiful. That's, that's interesting. I always imagined that writers were kind of, you know, captaining this whole, this whole process and that you were kind of controlling everything that goes out, but it seems like it's more the illustrator and the writer collaborative. Oh yeah. It's, it's a very collaborative 
effort, I think, bookmaking. Because once it goes to the publishing house, you have the art director working on it and giving feedback and you have the illustrator, you have the editor, you even have sales and marketing people that are giving Mm. feedback because they want to be able to sell this book. And so they're going to tell you, well, if you have this cover, that's not going to sell as well as if you do this cover. And, but it does take, you know, a fair amount of time from when that book is bought by the editor to when it's in stores, you know, there's lots of rounds of edits. And then once you get the manuscript in place where it's good, then it goes to the illustrator and then the illustrator will work for months and months and months. And then you start to get their big, huge sheets of paper that show the layout of each page and the spreads. They're very, those are so fun to get. And they're not doing those right now uh, because of COVID, but everything's digital. So really fun to get those emails and see what art is going to be paired with your text. And it's like Christmas morning, opening that and going through it and seeing what's been created. It's really a visual. Fun. Yeah. And then it takes months and months and months to be printed, you know, over overseas usually, and then to have the books shipped, um, slow boated back to the United States. So when, when your book doesn't get picked up, when that happens, when it's rejected, what happens then? Do you just sit on it for a little bit and then try again, or does it go into a drawer and forever forgotten about? Yeah. You know, that's where not, it's a metaphorical drawer of my hard drive, I guess, <laughs> usually. Um, but yeah, I do have folders um, because I like to print out my stuff and work with pencil when I'm doing revision. So um, I have folders full of rejected manuscripts, but hopefully none of that is lost though. I don't think because you learn something with every round of rejections that you get. And if you're lucky, I, well, this is something that I've all, that I, I found that was super helpful. I found first initially I'd send something out and I'd hear nothing. And it was just, as I got better and worked and revised, I started to get uh, form rejection. Okay. (laughs) And I was so excited when I got my first form rejection because it was contact from this world that I wanted to be a part of. And so I would get a form rejection and then I would start getting personalized rejections and those personalized rejections. If you're getting those, you know, you're getting close because an agent isn't going to take the time to write something personal to you unless they really think that it's worth their time to do that. So getting those personal rejections, you can learn a lot and improve a lot. And editors will do that. Even when you're out on submission, you know, a formal submission to editors, if they will, they'll give you that personalized feedback that is so helpful. It's just good feedback in general for what the marketplace, what is selling. To, right. You, know? you have to find that balance for reaching out to kids as well as the market. Right. I think oftentimes you find writers who are like, oh, I love all these stories from when I was a kid or, but most of those books, they would not get published currently because oh. word count is so long and what's selling now is shorter, more commercial, you know, books. So there still is a place for those quiet types. I books. love to write those books. I love to read those books, but editors love to buy other books too. 
how often do you interact with others in the field? So you have an editor that you talk with an agent. Um, how much of your time in this whole process is interacting with others in general? Uh, as far as talking with my agent, it I think that also depends on what we have going on. If we're out on submission, we are probably emailing multiple times a day, sometimes talking on the phone daily, leading up to that, to getting it ready. Um, but then if we don't have something out on submission and we're kind of in that period where I'm working heads down, trying to create something, then it's quieter. It's important to find your people as you're, as you're you know, on this path to publishing, if that's something you want to do, because it can be a lonely and discouraging path. <laughs> and so to find the people that are trying to do the same thing that you're trying to do can be so helpful. Talk to them, you know, interact with them. And I, that's a personal thing, you know, how much you like to do that. But I would say that I talk to other authors every day, you know, whether it's on social media or texting or however we like to connect on Marco Polo or something like that. You know, are you on submission right now? How's that going? And I think that's really important and so helpful for me. I really value those relationships that I've been able to create. I love to imagine that, that you guys kind of live in this, this world of supporting each other rather than this competitive, you know, doggy dog world. Yeah, I think there is that element, I'm sure. Yeah, there's things where you'll notice someone winning an award or getting something. You're like, oh, that would have been cool. But I found it's so much better for your mental health and for your friends if you can be that cheerleader for them and be excited for them. Because if you're in that space and you're around people that are winning awards, then that means you're in the right space. So the ALA Awards, the American Library Association Awards, I was able to go a couple of different years. And I was sitting after the awards where they give out the Caldecott and the Newberry Awards and those authors and illustrators speak and give speeches. And it's wonderful and exciting. Afterwards, the authors will often gather that are there and just kind of hang out and talk and get to see each other because we don't you know, we're usually spread all over the country and I'm sitting at this table and I was looking around. I'm like, oh my gosh, uh, every single person at that table was either a New York Times bestseller or had won a major award or both. And I just kind of was sitting there. I'm like, what am I doing here? <laughs> just kind of that feeling like, oh, one of these is not like the other. It's really, you know, if I'm in that I'm at the table. I maybe don't have all of those awards and, but I also don't have the years of experience that they have too, you know? And so I'm at the table and I can learn from them. And I think that's super valuable and important to not get down on yourself when you're not at whatever comparison level to somebody else. So be grateful for those opportunities to grow. Yeah, totally. What's a really good day that stands out to you that just kind of was an affirmation to you that you're in the right field? There's some really fun ones, like, you know, being able to go to ALA and attend those conferences and see, interact with readers and teachers and librarians. That's so fun and rewarding. I think interacting with readers is probably one of my favorite things, doing those school visits. But there was a day that kind of stands out that 
was really special. So the dress and the girl that we've talked about, when that went out on submission, we had three, I think different, three or four different publishing houses that wanted to buy it. And so when that happens, uh, your agent will call an auction and those editors that want to buy that book, they all prepare these letters that are like super nice (laughs) that, that are trying to convince you to choose them basically. And then they start bidding on your project. And so my husband that day, we were going to have an auction for the dress and the girl. My husband took the day off work and the kids were at school and it was just such a fun day to like a pinch me day, you know, it's like, what is this really happening? This is so fun to read these letters from these major publishing houses that, you know, I have admired and wanted to work with for years. So I don't take it for granted because it's not something that one has happened again. (laughs) And then you never know if it will happen again. Okay. So I guess on the other end, what's maybe a frequent challenge that you can face in this field? I had a realization last year when I was at a different ALA conference and a lot of people feel like, oh, I'm sure that this author or illustrator has won all these awards and uh, been a New York Times bestseller. So they, they don't feel insecure or nervous or anything, but having met those people and talked to those people, they do, they do feel that they feel pressure. You know, if they've won a Newbery award, their next book, they feel so much pressure. What do I write next? It's going to follow that up, you know? And so if I, I've tried to be really conscious of uh, what energy I'm bringing to that space and be like, okay, if I'm starting to feel anxious and nervous and bad about myself, I just need to recognize that there's a lot of other people, thousands of other people in this space feeling that, and I'm picking up on it. I get to choose how I'm going to feel about my work. And I've worked really hard and I only want to compare where I've come from to where I am now. I don't want to compare myself to somebody else, but So it can be such a head game, the rejection. If you have a project that you love so much that doesn't get picked up, that can be crushing, but you want to be resilient in order to have a career in this business. I think you really need to be resilient and not precious about those things and be like, okay, let's try again. You know, let's just, ideas are infinite. There's not just one idea and you can write something new and have another opportunity to try again. Do you have any last pieces of advice for someone who might be really interested now after hearing this and thinking this is something they they would want to do? Well, if they, I mean, I'm not trying to plug to my own horn here, but I do have a course that's available on my website. If you do want to write a picture book, it's picture books 101, just a beginner's guide that tells you if you've always wanted to write a picture book, or if you have a picture book manuscript, you know, what is the next step? How do I go from that idea to the next thing? And it kind of walks you through those first beginning steps to get you on the road to doing that. So you can buy that course. It's on sale right now for $25. It's super cheap, but also I think reading a ton in the genre that you want to write in. So if you want to write picture books, go and go to the library if you can. 
if you have picture books on your shelf, pull them out. The newer, the better, because you can see what is being published currently in the marketplace and see what's being accepted. As much as the, the old stories are so wonderful and beautiful and valuable, um, those aren't what editors are buying right now. So read, 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 and as current as possible is really helpful. And then go do something different if you can, whether it's go for a hike or go for a walk in a different neighborhood even, you know, um, listen to a new song. Anything that's going to fire up your brain in a creative new way, that always does something to my brain. One of my favorite TV shows is Grey's Anatomy and Christina Yang, I love her so much. And I printed out something on her last episode that she was on the show and when she's leaving and there's a line that she has that says, step forward into the unknown and assume it will be brilliant. And I typed that up and I put that on my desk and I look at it every day. So just step forward into the unknown and assume it will be brilliant. Thank you to Camille for donating her time to the show. Follow us on Instagram at Employed Podcast, and if you'd like to be a guest on our show, visit EmployedPodcast.com. Thanks for listening.